0: Per video, right? Like, woo! You can't wait for this series now. You couldn't wait for it before, yeah. So, I mean, the reality though is that there. I mean, you watch the news, and this is this is the kind of thing that you see, right? And 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 as Christians, is one of the things that we believe is that we should have hope. One of the things that the Scripture teaches and that Jesus teaches, and all the followers of Jesus that wrote the Scripture taught, was about hope about the fact that we should have hope now if you're watching those kind of headlines on a regular basis, how do you have hope in the midst of that? And with technology shrinking our world, you know every disaster, when it happens, more than you ever have. And, this, and, and if, if you watch Facebook, it's, it's political season, right? Like, I mean, negativity abounds, right? Everywhere you look, there is something negative. And, when, and then when your world, starts to come apart. Amongst all of that, when something is coming apart in your own world, how does the follower of Jesus stay positive? How do you have hope? When when there's something happening in someone's world that you care about, and it's like watching a train derail in slow motion, how do you have hope? How do you have hope in all of those things? And that is what the question that we're asking during this whole series is how to have hope. Now, when we say hope, during this whole series, we'll talk about this. What we mean is this concept of hope that is taught throughout Scripture that hope is not like wishful thinking. Like, like I hope that that police officer doesn't pull me over because I was going faster than the speed limit. Like Not like that kind of wishful thinking, but rather a confident expectation. A confident expectation of what God can do, of what's available. And and we don't have confident expectation as followers of Jesus just because we're nuts. Like, that's not the reason that we have confident expectation when these are the headlines and we're positive and, oh, but it's going to be great. Like, we don't have confident expectation because of all that. We have confident expectation because God said what he would do, and then God did. What he said he would do. He predicted that his son would come. And his son, Jesus, in the form of God, came down into human flesh and fulfilled 100% of the prophecies that were prophesied about him. And he predicted his own death and his resurrection. And then he pulled it off. See, he said what he would do. He did what he would do. And that's why we count on he'll still do what he says he'll do. This is where we have hope. And so we're going to look... Throughout this series, in this chapter in the Bible, in a book called Romans, which is really just a letter written to the Romans, at this one chapter, chapter 8, that talks about why it is that we can have hope. But throughout this series, one of the things we want to do is have you guys retell stories of hope, encourage each other with stories of hope in your own life, recall and encourage
1: yourself with stories of hope, and here's how. Let's watch. This month, we're learning about the power of hope and how God can help us have joy in a world full of trouble. At the same time, all of us have stories about how God has broken through seemingly hopeless situations to provide us with life-changing and life-sustaining hope. So this month, we would love to hear your stories of hope. How has God brought hope into your life? What circumstances has God's hope pervaded? Here's how you can share your story. First off, use your response card. You can write a summary phrase, four words or less, that characterize the circumstance that God brought you through, and then write hashtag hope. Or you can use social media. Follow the same instructions, sharing a four word or less phrase, followed by hashtag hope, and then be sure to tag us using our handle at daybreakweb. If you want to share a longer story or even post a video telling your story online, that's awesome too. But what we'll be looking for in every story is that four-word-or-less summary phrase and then hashtag hope. Why collect these stories? Because as you share your stories throughout the month, we'll compile them and we may ask if you'd be willing to share yours on Sunday morning, September 25th, as we celebrate the God of Hope to culminate our series. There's really no easier way to tell your story. You just do this. So let's celebrate God this month. Let's celebrate hope. Share your story today.
0: What a great way to remind us of the hope that God has because of the life-changing power that he does in our own lives. So I encourage you, share your stories this month. Begin to share it with each other and share it for your own good, to know that, I look back over my shoulder and I see hope. I see what God has done. Now, this morning, we're going to investigate and talk about a particular person's story of hope, and that's Paul. And he's writing to this letter to the Romans. Now, Paul was a guy who followed Jesus. And, um, I mean, he's a pretty significant character in the Scripture because he wrote most of the New Testament. So most of the things that you'll read in the Christian part of the Bible is from Paul. Now, you might think that that kind of excludes him from, well, of course he's hopeful. Of course he's a positive guy. That's why God picked him. But the truth is that Paul had his own source of regrets. So if you've ever had a place in your life where you felt like, man, did I make a bad choice with that relationship? That just went the wrong way. And you feel like, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. You can guarantee that Paul had the same issues. And if you've ever made choices that you've just been like, man, that, the way I treated that person or the way I decided about that or how that turned out, I just have regrets. You can guarantee, I can guarantee this morning that this is Paul's story about regrets and about why he has hope despite the regrets that he has in his life. Because the truth is when, when you become hopeless about your own situation, it is the ultimate discouragement. When you don't know and you forget and you don't realize what God wants to do in your life and that there is hope even in these places where you have regret, then you've missed the, the core of the message of the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so this morning, I hope that you'll go on this journey with me and really discover hope. Now, so if, if you nod off during the service this and you leave, and you might wonder, what was the message really about? Here's the, here's the real essence of the message, all right? God gives us hope so that we can stay positive even when we fail. That's what we're going to talk about today. Even when you fail, you can stay positive. You can have hope because God gives us that. So this morning, here it is. We can stay positive in failure, and you can follow along. If you pull out this little thing that looks like the scoop on it, you can follow along. It's an outline inside. You can find the scriptures, or you can open your Bible to Romans 8. We're going to talk about how we can stay positive in failure, even when we fail, because we are not condemned. We're not condemned. We're not on our own. We're not out out on our own when it comes to all these things. Now, we all... So here's the thing about condemnation. We all suffer from it because every one of us has some fatal flaw. Let's just admit it, right? Like, every one of us has that fatal flaw, that thing that you do that you wish you didn't do but you keep doing because your default is to go lean into that thing, and sometimes you're not even aware of it. But I bet the person closest to you would be glad to point it out, right? They they know all about it. They'd be happy to point it out to you. I mean, I mean, and so and just to illustrate how much we all feel about it, who wants to share their fatal flaw this morning, yeah, no, I'll just post it on Facebook later then, right? Like, like. You know right now, even as I'm saying that, like, no way, not doing that. Why? Because of condemnation. And so it doesn't matter whether it's your temper or you feel this laziness or this impatience or, or you're, you're selfish or it's the end of season with Rita's and you've been there every night and you feel the conviction of gluttony on your life for spending a lot of money at Rita's. But it doesn't matter what it is. Here's the thing. We live in a culture of condemnation. We do, don't we? We're just, all you got to do is look online, is look on Facebook, is watch the media. And if someone fails, what happens? Everybody points their finger as if they have nothing wrong. I'm doing everything great, but I am glad to point my finger at you. My mom, my mom used to tell me, this, so this is a little bonus mom wisdom for all of you. My mom used to tell me, Sean, be careful when you're annoyed at what other people do that annoys you because... More often than not, it says something about what you do that annoys you, right? Like, you're doing, that's the thing that annoys you about yourself. That's why it annoys you so much about someone else. And was like, yikes. And, you know, moms are usually right about this kind of stuff, so there you go. Um, here's the thing, you're not alone. You're not alone in this journey about condemnation. You're not the only one that's ever been frustrated by that thing that keeps going wrong and you wish would go right. And just to prove that to you, before we get into Romans 8, I want you to hear Paul's story from Romans 7, and that, that he suffered the same thing. So that when he speaks, you can he's believable because you can identify with him. So here's what he says in Romans 7. Now, if you really want a fun read, you sit down and read all of Romans 7 sometime, and you will be so confused by the time you get to the end of it with him trying to explain his story that you'll be like, wait, what just happened? So I'm going to read you just a very brief synopsis of it. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and 19. Here it is. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And we all identify with that. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Even my dog has this problem. My dog goes out, and every, I mean, once a week at least, he goes out and he lifts his leg on the planter in the entryway of our house. Now, he knows it's not the right thing to do. He has been scolded for it, and if I catch him, the reason I know he knows it's wrong is because he gives that look, you know, like the dog look, like, oops, Uh, did I just get caught? You know. So he looks. So so every time it happens, it same. Like we, I scold him. I said, No, you should have done that. I put him outside, and you know, we celebrate that he does the right thing. Well, after he barks at me, I put him outside. And first he's like, Ah! And then because he's mad that he knows he did what's wrong. But then he goes out, he does this thing, and I, I celebrate it, and it's fantastic. And then the next week, he does it again, again and again. I don't know if he's an idiot or an angel sent to develop my character. But whatever it is, whatever it is, he's a great illustration of exactly what Paul is talking about. I want to do what's right, but I do what I hate. I do what I know is not right. He goes on to say, and I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Now you think you're alone in this. You think you're the only person that suffers from this, but you're not. It is part of our humanity, it is part of our human experience, and it's the reason that we need God. And when I examine my own life, I suffer from exactly the same problem, just like my dog. I, there's stuff in my life that happens over and over again, and I go, God, I want it to stop. And, I, and the hopeful thing is that it has become less and less and less. And God has delivered me more and more and more. But it doesn't mean that it's the end. And this side of heaven, that is the journey. But here's the danger that I've discovered in this journey. There's two things that, that we tend to do. Because our fear of condemnation is so great, because what happens to us in failure is so intense. We we either resist conviction. Now, conviction is when God comes to us and says, Listen, here's like basically just makes us honest. Like that's that's the essence of conviction, right? Helping us see ourselves the way He sees us in need of the source of life in our life. So we either we resist that, we're like, we're we're so aware of God's goodness and our distance from that, we're like. I just don't even wanna, I don't want to face the music. We're like doing what my dog does. Like, you know, you didn't see that. Hopefully you didn't see that, God. Or this is the other thing I've done. I've lived in constant condemnation. And I'm so sensitive to the fact that I keep coming up short. I keep falling short. And I just, I don't think I'm worthy. I have guilt and shame. And this is what condemnation really is. This is the, definition of condemnation is that it's guilt and shame that pushes you away from God and back into sin. It isolates you because you feel such shame over that such guilt. You're just like, oh, I don't even want to know. I don't want people to know about that, and so I'm going to hide it. And then it's like the sledgehammer, the spiritual and emotional sledgehammer that Satan just uses to keep you in place, to keep you in doubting God's best for you, and that God could actually love you. Now, you know this. You know this about condemnation because you've observed it all the time. You observe it during the Olympics. What happened when Ryan Lochte went into a bathroom and he just, he just wrecked a bathroom? He's just being juvenile. But what happened? Yeah, he lied. No, no, no. Instead, he made up this whole story about how armed people tried to get him, like this whole lofty story about all of this. Why? he was so afraid of being condemned and when you have condemnation and you are afraid of condemnation you will make terrible choices and some of you like me have been down that road you've made terrible choices because you lived in condemnation you lived in fear of it and you resisted conviction and see conviction is just this loving act of a gracious god saying you can be forgiven You don't have to be afraid anymore. For years, I resisted that because I thought that God was angry with me, that God would always out. God had a pointy finger, right, and he was just waiting to use it. See, I knew you'd fail. See, I knew it. You're always coming up short, Andrews. You're always doing that. See, you did it again. You'll never be good enough for me. So this is the message that many of us live with. And condemnation, and this is the message of the gospel that came to set us free because when we resist conviction because we're afraid of what God thinks of us, when God has done everything, including send his son to the cross to prove otherwise, when we resist conviction, we resist God. We resist the loving conviction of a gracious God who says, come back to me, I already know your failures. I'm not counting up, one, two, three, four. I'm counting down, five, four that's why we have hope because God's not counting up he's counting down to the time where we will truly be delivered but we suffer and we wear this label of sin and we wear labels of shame and we're afraid to admit things and we don't really understand the story of the gospel and so I want you to sit in a story today on a story that means a lot to me because it's my own story and it's probably your story too we is just going to come and read it today, and I want you to sit and experience it and think about what God wants and has done for you.
2: It's tough to be a dog in downtown Seattle. It's a concrete wilderness of cars and curbs and only parking meters to mark your territory a land where cats behind windows smugly ignore you, and mail carriers on foot are hard to come by. Liberation came one October day when Lady moved to the orchards of central Washington. The new digs of the dog's delight, a working farm, a leaning barn, and more fields to roam than could be done on the Sundays during a month. Dogs know a lot about people, well, not skills like foreign currency or building a space shuttle or such, but practical stuff, like when the school kids are getting off of the bus. Somehow they just know. Each afternoon, at just the right time, Lady padded down the path of the dirt driveway and the sleepy two-lane country road. During her tenure as a dog to school kids, a Lady never missed a day. It didn't matter if it was a waist-deep blizzard, or a withering heat, or a horizontal rain. The first kid off the bus was met with a wet pink tongue and the dirty paws. When it snowed, the slope behind the barn became a groomed toboggan run. Lady chased the action up and down the hill for hours. Her only break was to sip the hot chocolate with the mini marshmallows from the metal thermos cup and chew down a peanut butter and jelly sandwich made just for her. She was one of the kids." As shadows overtook the hill, a recession of soggy kids and sleds emptied the icy wood. Here was Lady and the dog, looking like the Queen of Sheba, perched proudly atop a wooden sled pulled by the shivering courtesans. Spring roared in like a lion, and with it she brought six dead chickens to the back door. Along with that came the angry rancher with a shotgun to the front. Lady had discovered a taste of blood, and she was hardwired with a passion for one thing: birds. How does a German shorthair ignore 800 years of breeding? Lady's life was in the balance. A country farm agent gave her one last chance: A dead rooster wired around the neck until it rotted off. The only hope for Lady was to change her habits. Within a couple of days, Lady reeked of a bloated death. The kids now got packed up from the the bus stop, and they didn't suffer the sight and stench. They waited until Lady was away to run between the house and the barn, and for days, the loyal dog patiently sat near the porch, staring at the closed front door. Almost a month had passed, and Lady, once the center of attention, lay dejected at the corner of the house her head fallen, eyes dulled, and her spirit broken. A slimy, matted mess of feathers with sinewy patches of gray flesh dangling from her neck. On a still and warm summer evening, the oldest son returned home with a girl that he wanted the family to meet. She had heard the story of Lady, and, and as the car crawled up the driveway, the girl's eyes fixed on the dark, brooding figure slumped near the house. As she stepped from the car, The smell of rotting flesh made her gag. Without explanation or comment, she, she paced across the driveway and over the grass to the sullen figure who didn't even lift her head. As the girl carefully folded to one knee, Lady's eyes flickered up and met hers. She paused and took a measured breath. Then with her eyes squeezed half shut, she plunged her fingers into the rawness, untwisting the wire until the carcass dropped to the dirt with a thud. Stroking Lady's head, she whispered, You don't need that anymore. And in that moment, Lady was released to walk out in a new way of being, and she did.
0: See that? That's the story. That's the story of all of our lives. That's the story of condemnation. It's the story of what Jesus came to offer you, to unwrap that rotted mass from your neck, that weight of guilt and shame, the things that you've carried from your past, that weight of the things that you keep doing, like, I just wish it would stop. See, that's that's the gift of the gospel. That's why we have hope, is because you have a new day. Listen to what one of the followers, one of Jesus' best friends, actually said about your new day. He said, listen, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all righteousness, to give us a new day, to say, I will wipe the past out even once again that you can count on him. See, conviction is about honesty. It's about saying, I'm just going to be honest. Here's where I am, God. But the best part, the reason that we have hope, is that we are not condemned if we belong to Christ Jesus. And this is the message of the gospel. Welcome to God's gentle conviction, welcoming you in. Romans 8.1, here it is. Here's Paul's message to us today, his story. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. See, Paul's saying, listen, you get to choose. You get to choose. You don't have to choose condemnation. You don't have to choose fear. You can choose conviction. You can allow conviction to become a way of life, God's gentle, welcoming conviction. What's it look like? Well, in my own marriage, I can tell you what it looks like. It looks like some of you will will identify with this because you're like me. So when when something goes wrong in your marriage, and it will if you're married very long, and if you ever plan to be married, I'm just a little newsflash for you, um, it's not always perfect, right? You don't always say the things you should. And sometimes you say things you shouldn't, or you say you're, you might even say the right thing in the wrong way, yeah. And so you do this, and here's what happens: you're both angry. You both walk away angry, and then one of you is this person. I ain't apologizing first. <laughs> let them come to me. I'll say I'm sorry after they say them sorry. I I was more right than they were. And some of you, you can just you can just elbow the person in your marriage who's that person right now. Just let them know. So. Here, here's what happens. Okay, so I'm that person, right? Nope. Let them say. She could say she's sorry first. I was more right than she was. And then this thing happens. Now I remember my story, my own story, right? About condemnation and coming into God's kingdom and understanding conviction that God loves me. So I get in that mode, and I got my arms crossed. And then I hear this gentle impression on my heart, like God's spirit whispering to me. Remember what you said on your wedding day? You promised to love her. I love the church. You promised to lovingly submit. You can do that. You can do it your way. And in that moment, I have a choice. And I am always glad when I choose to go get on a knee and to look my wife and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and ask for her forgiveness, and enter back into a loving relationship. But that can only happen for you if you're willing to see God as he is, a God who deeply loves you and is offering you conviction. The good news of God, the good news of the gospel is that there is always a new day. Always a new day. That, that the new day is basically just this. Will you keep on trying? Will you keep on trusting? And Will you keep on trying? And in that, you will find a new way. And you can be assured of this. that He is faithful and just to forgive you. That there is no condemnation. That you have freedom. And the good news is that you can be assured. God is not holding anything against you. See, this is why we have hope. This is why you can personally have hope even when you fail. God's not holding anything against you. He's willing to offer you forgiveness and a new day. So you can unwrap that mangy mess from your neck. And you can say, I don't want to wear that anymore. I don't want to live with that anymore. You can have hope because this forgiveness is real. So God says, Paul says, listen, God God wants to offer you a new way. No condemnation. Choosing conviction, not condemnation. And he says that you can have hope because of that, but not just because of that. Romans 8, 2 begins to go on and explain that you can also have hope because not only do we are we not condemned, we can experience grace. And so I want to talk about Romans 8, 2, and I want to talk to you specifically about the second thing that Paul talks to us about, and that's that we can experience grace. Now let me define grace for you. Grace, a simple theological definition of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. So God gave everything. Now think about this. God's riches at Christ's expense is this. God gave everything, including his son. He didn't withhold his own son. God came and as a son on the cross, died for us. He lost his son so that you could be restored in relationship with him. Now you think about that for a second. If you're a parent, you have a child, what would you give up in exchange for your child's life? I mean, what would make it worth it to go to your own kid's funeral? What? What well, can you come up with? See, this is what it costs. Grace. If you can experience and understand the high cost of grace, You can begin to understand the power behind it because it is convincing of more than anything else you will ever read or understand. It is convincing that if God would do that, it should convince you that He is not out to get you. Because you know, as a parent, you would never, you would never give up your child for people that she didn't love. There's no way. There is no way that you would do that. And the message of Romans 8 is this. You can have hope because of Christ's death and resurrection proves to you that grace is available to you, that God does love you. This is, this is pretty important. and We all need grace. We need it desperately. Now, when things are going right in our life, we don't think we need it at all. We're pretty good. Hey, Pastor Rick was telling me that recently he was praying with his son, Andre, who's like and. Almost four. And he said, I, I prayed this, this thing over him. And I said, Jesus, thank you, for your, thank you for dying on the cross that you would offer us forgiveness for all the things we do wrong. And Andre, in the middle of the prayer, just interrupted him. He's like, Daddy, what do you do wrong? And, and so Rick was like, You know, I was kind of stunned in that moment. So I was like, Well, well you know, you know what, late at night when, I, when I, I, I'm i not always kind, like I let my, you guys, I just, I, I get impatient and I yell or something. Like that doesn't please God. That, it's one of the things that I do wrong. And Jesus, died. he wants to give me forgiveness for that so I can have a new day. And Andre says, oh. And he goes, well, what else do you do wrong? Right? And he's, what else do you do wrong, daddy? What else do you do wrong? Like, it, it is part of who we are to have this desperate need of grace. Even Andre, four years old, recognizes like, daddy, do you do wrong stuff too? Is it, is it you too that's coming up short? We all come up short of God's grace. We all come short of God's goodness. It is a way of life for all of us, and it is not different in your experience. It is part of the human experience apart from God. That is what happens apart from God. It's like it's like lady, right? The, the dog, dog has 800 years of breeding to say, go after the bird. And you have thousands and thousands of years of breeding to go after the sin, to do it your own way, to be selfish. If you don't believe that, just ask your parents about how you acted when you were, like, five, right? They'll tell you. Like, every kid's first word is no. Like, that's the first one they know. No, right? Because they, because they had to learn it. We all come up short, but we need the source of life and the hope. And this is where you should be asking. like, well, I thought this message was about hope. It is. The hope is this. The hope is that we have grace, that God offers us grace, and that we don't have to achieve it. In fact, in Ephesians, another place that Paul wrote, and this is why it's helpful to understand what he's writing in Romans 8 by understand what he writes elsewhere. In Romans in Ephesians, this is what he writes. He says, listen, the gift that God gives you, your salvation, this, this thing that God does for you, you're saved by his grace when you believe, when you say, Jesus, I don't want to rule my own life. I don't want to lead my own life. I can't do this on my own you believe that Jesus did what he did for you so that you could become back to God. When you believed, it says, you can't take credit. Why? Because it is a gift of God. Salvation isn't a reward for all the good things you've done. and how There's not a big measuring thing up in the sky, okay? This is, might be a surprise. There is not a big measuring thing up in the sky that Is going to weigh you out, weigh out all your deeds when you stand before God and go, well, if you were better, then it's going to come up because the problem is sin is always more weighty and so you're always coming up short. And, and, And the truth is, you really want to take that chance that you're going to pay your own way? You really want to take that chance when what Paul is saying is that the good news of Jesus is that you don't have to. That's not about the good things we've done. None of us can boast about it because it's about what Jesus already did. And that he empowers us. Because of God's grace, we are free to live a new kind of life. That he wants to give us this power of grace. And this is why in Romans 8, 2, it's so powerful when Paul says this. And because you belong to him, because you've handed over your life to him, the power of the life giving spirit. So, then the promise here's the promise that Jesus promised if you'll hand over your life to me, you'll accept my forgiveness and my leadership in your life, I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he will indwell you and he'll help you make good choices. This is what was Jesus' promise as so Paul says, The power of the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. So, what Paul is saying here is that grace is this incredible gift because it doesn't leave us where we are. It gives us the power to change the default setting in our life that keeps choosing wrong. Now, if you're really following thinking through this, you should be saying about now, well, that's nice, Sean, but I, see, I got this friend who keeps choosing the wrong thing. I mean, he says he has Jesus in his life, but he keeps choosing the wrong thing. And, and my friend, I mean, I mean, you know, so, so when I choose that, I mean, when my friend chooses that, you know, like, what does that mean? Why is the power of grace not working? And You see, practically what Paul is saying, and, and this is why you're having that dilemma is because you're getting it. What Paul is saying is that practically the quality of your life in Christ can be quantified in your choices, in your amount of freedom you have from sin. This is what Paul is saying. Is the quality of your life in Christ can be quantified by your freedom from sin. By your choices. Our love for God can be quantified through the choices we make. But here's the good news of grace. We are not condemned. So when you make a bad choice, there is forgiveness. And there is freedom to try again. To make a good choice. When you fail, you need to know. According to Ephesians you're wrong, and you're right, they don't make God feel any differently about you. He sent his son for you, according to Romans 5, while you were yet a sinner, while you were thumbing your nose at God, he sent his son for you. He sent that message into your life. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. He already loves you. And grace is the key to empower your life. Have changed because you can fail and try again. Now, I read a book recently, it's on the 10 laws of trust, and the author tells this story. He says there was this powerful moment in his life when he realized what the freedom to fail, what the power of grace really was. He says his dad, he was before he was 16, and his, he wanted to learn how to drive, and his dad said, Okay, here's the keys, just back the car out of the driveway, go down the road, turn around, and come back into the driveway. Hands him the keys, he goes out to the car. He says, I'm so excited. He said, I got in the car, I turned the engine over, I put it in reverse, I gently backed out of the driveway until the rear tires hit the curb. He said, I was like, man, I'm doing this right. He said, so, he said, I turned the wheel, he said, and I gunned it. He said, in the moment I gunned it, I realized I didn't take it out of reverse. And up over the curb I went, and he said, the car got stuck on the curb. It was hanging on the curb. He said, I couldn't get it off. No matter how much I tried, I couldn't get it off. He said, so I sheepishly turned the car off and went in the house, told my dad. So my dad got up out of the chair and he came out and he went and recruited a neighbor. And they got the car off the curb and he pulled it up into the driveway. He said, this is the part that I'll never forget. He said, he began to walk into the house. And then he stopped and he turned and he threw me the keys. And he said, try not to, try not to hit anything this time. And he walked in the house. That was it. He said, at that moment, I knew the power of grace, the power of trust and the freedom to fail. Say, it's okay. because God's counting down. God says, listen, you can have hope. Because even in the moments where you're broken, where you're like, God, I did it again. I'm so sorry. It is that turning in that moment of grace, of repentance that says, I don't have to be condemned. It is the power of repentance and grace that says, I'm not going to live in toxic shame. I'm not going to stay in the same place and keep making bad choice after bad choice. It is in that moment that the real miracle of grace happens when you realize that the real miracle of grace isn't that you accepted God into your life, it's that he accepted you and that he'll do it over and over and over again because he loves you. This is the reason for. This is the power of grace, and it is accomplished when Jesus comes into your life. And we just need to live it out. Now, hope is not far. It's not far away. It's not something that you have to achieve. It's not you don't have to swim across the ocean for it. You don't have to do something miraculous to receive it. You don't have to become a saint. You just need to say, Jesus, I need you. And the troubling way of grace in our life is this that God often leaves us without a roadmap to get there, hoping that in the end, all of our self-reliance and all of our doing it our own way will get whittled away so that we'll come to the end of ourself. And this is the real act of grace, that we might come to the end of ourself and say, Uncle. See, that's, that's simply the way of grace in our life, that God helps us get to the place in our life to say, Uncle, I need you. I want you. I want to be in your life, I want you in my life. And so this morning, I just want you to sit with those thoughts. We're going to watch a video, then we're going to take communion together. And for some of you, communion, see, communion is a celebration of what Christ did for us in our life. When you come and you celebrate communion, when you take communion, what you're really saying is, "God, I believe. Jesus, I believe that what you did for me is real. That forgiveness is available for me, and that the way of grace can change my life. And so we welcome everybody to come. But if you've never done that, then during this next video, here's what I encourage you to see is sit in that video and if you're ready, as much as you can, you just say, God, I need you more than I ever have. So Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you give me a new way? Because I need you. Let's watch. with me, Lord Jesus. You are our hope. Because you can forgive. Because we can come to you over and over and ask forgiveness, even for the first time this morning to say, Jesus, in our hearts, Jesus, forgive me. Give me a new day. Lead my life. I don't want to live in condemnation. I don't want to live with that mass around my neck. I want to be set free. I want to know that you're in my corner. I want to know that there's a new way. And so I'm going to, as much as I can, trust you from this moment forward. God, help us to trust you fully. In Jesus' name.